You are listening to RudolfSteinerAudio.com. If you are listening to the podcast of this, it is located at RudolfSteiner.Podbean.com. Please consider becoming a patron. As well, there are two publishing houses, SteinerBooks.org in America and RudolfSteinerPress.com in England, who are the sole publishers of Steiner into English and have given me permission to do these recordings. Please consider patronizing them as well. A reading of Rudolf Steiner's lectures, The Redemption of Thinking. This is uh, the the appendix, the appendices. This is Appendix 2 on Aristotle, who lived from 384 to 322 BCE. And it refers to pages 35 and 67 of this book. One of the most remarkable facts in the almost complete domination exercised by Aristotle for 15 centuries over the thought of Western civilization is that his authority was claimed in support of quite diverse points of view, by idealists and by materialists, in attack upon and in defense of the Christian faith, in championing liberty of thought and in resisting the emergence of the new learning. Rudolf Steiner sheds the greatest light upon this phenomenon by his revelation as the ruling factor in the development of human thought of the progress of humanity from a primitive clairvoyant perception of the spiritual world with an almost complete ignorance of the nature of physical reality to an ever-increasing understanding and mastery of the physical world and a gradual loss of spiritual clairvoyance. In a small book entitled Philosophy and Anthroposophy, Steiner applies this principle to the whole development of philosophy, leading up to its relation in our own time to anthroposophy. In the present lectures he alludes to the special position of Aristotle in this evolutionary development, and it may be of some help to the reader to indicate the main points in regard to this. We shall also find that historical events played a great part in the apparent contradictoriness in the application of Aristotle's teaching. At the dawn of Greek civilization, in the 8th and 7th centuries BCE, human clairvoyance was coming to an end, but there remained amongst men the complex and vivid thought pictures which had been derived from clairvoyant vision and from the spirit background of individual human life. With the growth of intellectual consciousness, Greek thinkers wove these thought pictures into very complicated thought systems, but these early thinkers such as Thales, Protagoras and even Plato were not really philosophers, but philosopher-seers. Their ideas were based upon an ever-diminishing supersensible perception and upon thought systems whose supersensible origin they knew and for the most part accepted as factual. Aristotle was the first philosopher in the accepted sense of the word, for while he still had traces of supersensible perception, though to a far less degree than his master Plato, He knew that for him, and for mankind in general, the source of human ideas must be in the human mind itself, arising out of man's own physical experience and his contemplation of sense phenomena. He therefore devised for this purpose a system of logic which became the recognized and universal system of thought, culture, and education until the end of the scholastic age in the 14th century A.D. Moreover, Aristotle applied this new, self-originating system of logic to the exposition of many arts and sciences, 
including amongst them many supersensible phenomena of which he was dimly aware or accepted as true. It was a magnificent thought edifice, comprehending all the known phenomena of spirit and sense, although it heralded the age when man would come to rely almost wholly on sense observation. It still retained links with the clairvoyant past and was so subtle and comprehensive in its structure that every school of thought could find affinities in it. Thus, when the skeptic school of philosophy which succeeded Aristotle rejected his metaphysics, it accepted his logic and ethics. Again, when the rediscovery of some of his lost works and a certain recovery of supersensible perception led to the rise of Neoplatonism in the second century A.D., the idealism of Aristotle, together with that of Plato, was made the foundation of the even subtler philosophy of Plotinus. When, three hundred years later, the iconoclast Justinian drove that philosophy into the East, the triumphant Christian civilization, though it retained of Aristotle's writings only his system of logic, still looked to him as the master of its learning and of the methods of its theological disputation. At the same time there still appeared and disappeared in that dark period a thread of subtle mystic thinking which traced its origin through Plotinus to Aristotle and Plato. Then history played a practical joke. The Arabian philosophers discovered the banished scientific works of Aristotle and, disregarding their subtler metaphysics, fashioned them into a pantheism with which they invaded Christendom, presenting Aristotelianism as the enemy of the Christian faith. Once again the authority of Aristotle was claimed in opposing camps, and in this crisis Thomas Aquinas came to the rescue. Hoisting the Arabian philosophers with their own petard, he took the scientific works of Aristotle, which the Arabian commentators had translated into Latin, and which had been systematized by his master Albertus Magnus, and proved that so far from overthrowing the Christian faith, they supported it to the utmost extent of which human reason was capable. In doing this, Aquinas erected a system of thought even more imposing than that of Aristotle, inasmuch as it approached and embraced supersensible realities guaranteed by divine revelation. Having, however, absorbed Aristotle's philosophy and science into the world pattern of Christian thought, the Church imprisoned it in the rigid theological orthodoxy of that time and tried to silence the scientific discoveries of the new learning by the ipsissima dicta of an age that was only at the beginning of the observation of sense phenomena. Quote, Mistaken Aristotelianism became the very bane of knowledge. Close quote. Footnote from Rudolf Steiner, title Philosophy and Anthroposophy, page 26. End of footnote. The subsequent events are traced by Rudolf Steiner in the last of these lectures. The triumphant new spirit of inductive science, having rejected any relevant reality in supersensible phenomena, arrived at the stage of denying to human thinking the right to assume any factual basis of thought, save such as can be proved by sense experience. This brought human thinking to such an impasse that the great philosophic structure of Thomas Aquinas has been set up again in defense of the innate reasonableness of reason and the authority of faith. But this seven-hundred-year-old edifice will not of itself suffice. There must be built upon it a superstructure, 
to which the lines of its own building point, but which can be, let me read that again, there must be built upon it a superstructure to which the lines of its own building point, but which can be built only by the development to a higher level of that very scientific thinking which challenges it. When that is achieved, the gulf between reason and faith will have been bridged, and the way will be open for man to return with enhanced vision to his spiritual heritage. In that event, Aristotelianism will, at the same time, be justified and transcended. The end of the appendix 2 on Aristotle.